Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Ready. Play. Hello, everybody. Uh, nice to have you on board today. Of course, this is something that uh, we're looking back on the year 2022 as we uh, sort of come to the end of the year. Of course, it would be quite dumb to do reviews of a match, matches of the year in March. But as it is sort of November, December, I think it's uh, the right time to do this. And, um, listen, Owen, first of all, welcome. Nice to have you on board. Thanks for having me again. Uh, I think we did our first show together just over three months ago, and I said I've got no gizmos, nothing special, but I am working on that, as you've seen from the little intro there. That I was really like... cool. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. yeah, I hope you like that. Um, Anyway, cool. So let's get to it, because we are here to talk about matches of the year. Uh, listen, first of all, uh, we're here to talk about Nadal, Djokovic, quarterfinal, French Open semifinal. Why this match, Owen? Well... I think it was year defining in a lot of ways. Um, I think it not at the time as much as people said it did, I think, but it was sort of a final before a final. Um, I think the winner of that was likely going to win the tournament in Nadal's case. That's what happened. Um, and, you know, he went on, he had already won the Australian Open. So he got two majors this year. Djokovic got one 59th edition of their rivalry. And I think the quality was pretty good too. Not as good as their semifinal last year, but I thought it was a fun match. Yeah, I think the semi-final from the previous year actually is kind of really where I want to begin because I do think, for me, going into that quarter-final, it was kind of very much in the background, very much, or in the build-up oh, yeah. anyway. Um, I thought that that was, you know, quite significant. I took a screenshot here from just before that match began. I mean, it was 29-28 uh, going into that semi-final. Yeah. In, in and it seems like Nadal would tie it up, didn't it? Yeah, right. Exactly. I think I think it's funny because I went into that semi-final thinking Nadal would win, but I went into the quarter-final um, uh, in this year thinking that Djokovic would win for <laughs> very similar reasons because the f form had kind of swung the other way. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I wasn't favoring Djokovic as heavily as a lot of people. Like, I, I was kind of non-committal on 
who would win, but like gun to my head, I would have said Djokovic. And I think that was partly because of form. He had won like 22 sets in a row, won Rome. Nadal's foot flared up in Rome. And even though his first four matches in Paris, he looked okay, he got taken to five by Felix Ojealiasim. And so at that point, I'm thinking, okay, you know, form probably not quite there, even though it wasn't the fifth set of that match. And he's at a physical deficit now that he's played five sets in the previous round. So yeah, it seemed like advantage Djokovic. Did you take much stock from the fact that it was going to be played at night? Um, there was a lot sort of made about that before the match began. I didn't really. I mean, you know, at the time I was like, this maybe could be good for Djokovic because Nadal isn't going to get as much bounce off the court. But a lot of people were saying like, oh, Nadal needs this to happen during the day. And I was like, if he plays his best, he doesn't really need anything. This is his court. And a lot of Nadal fans took umbrage at the facts that I was saying that. And they're like, you know, he's 36. Like, he needs the conditions. I'm like, well, you know, Djokovic is 35. Like, I know that Djokovic is, like, younger game-wise now. Like, he, he hasn't declined as much. But, mm-hmm. like, I just thought it was ridiculous that people thought he needed the day session to win. Um, and, you know, the result backs that up, which I was pleased with <laughs> Because I think I got blocked by a couple of people uh, when I said that on Twitter. So, Oh, really? I mean, the thing is, I think that one of the reasons why I guess the commentators as well, because they were taking great stock. In fact, I I took this picture as um, uh, Alex Carreccio and some of the other guys at Eurosport were talking about it. And Mm -hmm. I think that there are such fine lines generally, with the exception of those uh, slam finals in 2019 in Australia and 2020 in in um or even in in the 2020 final that the margins are still tight you know if if yeah. Novak can win that third set who knows how that match right. panned out and three points away from doing it like it was right yeah exactly so the fact is that they are so tight that I guess that's one of the reasons commentators really do latch on to these things just before we get to the match itself though um you touched on the runs that they had I think that also played into the narrative for me that Djokovic was the favorite um mm-hmm. Uh, and also, uh, I remember a com- press conference that Djokovic gave. I know they do do. I know they do psychology in their own personal ways. We know that Rafa sort of sort, sort of treats every. You know, he's he's in the first round of a of a two fifty, and he's talking about it like it's a slam final yeah. um, against the world number two hundred and fifty. You know what I mean? So we know that from Rafa. But I think Djokovic probably comes a bit closer to how he really is feeling. Um, yeah, think, he's very yeah, honest. Exactly. Especially now at this point in his career. Yeah. And he said he had really good feelings going into this quarterfinal. And I think that partly because of the, the run that he had, um, I mean, you would argue maybe it wasn't that challenging, but probably it was at least as challenging as, as Rafa's, although perhaps looking back, that Felix match was was more challenging. But we'll come to Rafa's run in a second. I mean, basically, he swats everyone aside in straight sets, but he's yeah. playing better and better and better. And against Schwartzman, who is a top 20 player in the world, arguably top 10 on clay at his peak, probably a year before, two years before, even better. But, you know, Schwartzman got seven games. Yeah, I was at that match in the Sands and it was just, it wasn't close whatsoever. I mean, Schwartzman had a 3-0 lead in the second set and at no point did I think he was going to win the set because you just knew as soon as Djokovic raised his level 5-10%, it was over. Um, And... Yeah, he was just sliding all over the place. Like, he he looked really, really good. And I think the one thing with that was it was going to be a big step up from Schwartzman to Nadal, both matchup-wise and game-wise, even if Djokovic had been able to beat Nadal. Um, And so I knew that there would be some complications in the quarterfinal, even if he ended up winning it. 
do you think, it's a, it's a really good point, because it is something that people said, I think people said it once or twice before the match. And when I say people, I mean tennis, Twitter, or a few commentators. Of course. But more, more, more so retrospectively, people started mm. saying, oh, well, maybe that Nadal match with, with five sets with, with, uh, with, uh, sorry, with Felix really helped Rafa. And right. the fact that Djokovic hadn't been tested did hinder him. Do you take any stock in that now looking back? I think I do, yeah, because at the time I thought, like, oh, Nadal's going to be tired, but he wasn't. Um, And so I think if you don't suffer from the fatigue, then, yeah, you absolutely benefit from having to hit more difficult low-margin shots, playing for longer, because it, like, gets you sharp, you know? Um, I mean, something I think of is um, at Wimbledon in 2019, I think Federer played Nishikori in the quarters, and he won pretty comfortably in four, but there were some tight moments, a lot of baseline rallies, had to hit a lot of passing shots. And so then when he came into the semis against Rafa and his ground strokes were razor sharp. I kind of feel like that quarterfinal with Nishikori was the reason why, because he was tested. Um, and, you know, in that tournament, Nadal comparatively had had a bunch of easy wins, hadn't really had to do anything crazy. And then when he came up against a, a great version of Federer, it was like he wasn't ready to hit the shots he needed to. Yeah. I, I actually think it's quite interesting the way this year has panned out for Rafa in terms of the slams in that he's often played early in the tournaments. We remember in Australia where he had a three-day break as a result between his quarter and his semi, which I think yeah. was really important for him after the chapeau. And a similar thing, of course, occurred in France. So what I noticed is that many years gone by, and we do know that the big players do have their say, despite Federer sort of trying to give it a straight bat a few years ago in New York. We, we do know that at least if they say, listen, here's an example at the French Open this year. Rafa was asked, I think, at the beginning of the tournament, there's a big match next Saturday in Madrid, uh, sorry, in Paris, between Madrid and Liverpool. Are you going? Uh, you know, he said, well, you know, I don't, I don't make the, the schedule, blah, 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 but I'll be there. And that's right. a so, like, little bit of a contradictory answer there, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, and in fact, as I don't know if it's as a result of that match, but he didn't play on the Saturday. He played on the Friday against Botic. Yeah. And throughout the tournament, I think he, he started on the Monday. So he's certainly in the, in the earlier starters, if you like, I know some people mm-hmm. start on the Sunday in, in the French Open, but similar thing. Whereas, Actually, when he goes for the 1000s, I think he he always has. We saw it just recently in Paris Bercy, where he's one of the last to take his his match in that particular batch. And I think he likes that Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or whatever it pans out, and in a in a smaller tournament, if you like. Whereas, uh, it, I think it was really useful for him this year having the three days before he played Zverev, for example. I know yeah. we all know what happened there, but. But um, I do think that it was beneficial at the two slams to to play a bit earlier in the tournament and therefore spread it out a bit. Yeah, I mean, the days off are huge. Like, I think in some cases, a major, even though it's best of five for the guys, can be less physically challenging than something like the World's Tour Finals when you're just playing yeah. top opponents every day. Um, and, you know, like if you're playing five sets in majors and straight setters at the World Tour Finals, then obviously the major is tougher. But, like, if if at the major, like you play five sets and then you have like one day off or two days off, then like, it's not a big deal. And Nadal, he still has great endurance. I mean, he won the Australian open final in five hours and 24 minutes. And so I think if he's okay physically in terms of injuries, then he can recover from a lot still. Um, even though he's maybe not as good as that at, at that as he used to be. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, most commentators and me included, uh, thought that Djokovic was the favorite. Djokovic yep. said he had good feelings. However, the beginning of the match, were you surprised at Rafa's 
flying start and and I mean I think he broke in the first game. Did that take yeah. you by surprise at all? Do you think it took Novak by surprise? I think it took took Novak by surprise. Um, it didn't really surprise me once it got going. Like once he got off the double break, part of me was like, "Wow, he's playing really well," and I thought Djokovic would win. But then I was like, "Well, you know, of course this is happening. This is what happened the last two years they played it Roland Garros. So like, you know, twenty twenty six zero. 2021 was 5-0, set points for 6-1, and then 6-3. And so I was like, you know, maybe Djokovic still wins the match, but, like, I I shouldn't be surprised by this. Other people shouldn't be surprised by this. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, was there anything about the first set in terms of point construction that particularly... I mean, you were there in the stadium, which I think is yeah. another... Re- I mean, you, you and I just mentioned how we... I think we met the following day, actually, and I messed up with my tickets. I bought my tickets weeks in advance and blah, blah, blah. And then I realized, oh, once once the draw came out and I saw Alcaraz, Zverev, uh, Djokovic and Nadal all playing, as I said, early on in the tournament. I thought, yeah. oh, I've got Wednesday's quarterfinals. Ah, uh, Yeah. But it was it was tough to know though. I mean, even with the yeah. night session tickets, like we had no idea that this would be the night session. If you remember, there was a huge debate over like which match is going to be the night session. Like, yeah. and there were people who were convinced it was going to be both ways. Um, but yeah, I mean, watching it from the stands, it was. I mean, one of the great experiences I've had. Um, I, yeah, I think in that first set, Nadal, just the aggression with the forehand um, was the main thing. But I think also he was defending really well, and that was big because, I mean historically they are the two greatest defenders ever but right now Djokovic has declined less and so he's the better defender um Mm -hmm. but in this match I think Nadal defended at least as well and that was a surprise at least at first because he was neutralizing a lot of Djokovic's offense and he was overpowering Djokovic himself um and so it just seemed like he had control of a lot more of the rallies than I thought he would what I thought as well as the tournament progressed, and even more so this particular match as well, the concerns over Nadal's foot, which of course were huge, bearing in mind that just two or three weeks before he limped off the court against yeah. uh, Shapovalov, was it in Rome? Um, mm-hmm. That he lost in the in an early round there, and 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 of course Rafa also said, by the way, that he was really particularly upset, apart from the obvious reasons, that he still started to feel as though he was really coming into good form. I think he might have beaten, I think he beat Opelka the day before, uh, and then he. Yeah. Yeah, he plays really well in the first set against Chapeau. Anyway, right. the foot injury, uh, he kept using this this expression about putting it to sleep, basically, um, yeah. throughout the tournament. Uh, and uh, obviously, that's not a, a long-term solution, but it was a, a two-week solution at the very least. And yeah. I think it sort of the thoughts about it kind of disappeared as the tournament progressed, right? Yeah, I mean, when especially once he started playing this well against Djokovic, it was like, okay, it's not going to be a problem. Um, although I also did think, like, it wasn't a problem at last year's French Open either until that Djokovic match. And I mean, and I feel like Djokovic was kind of the only one who was going to force it to be a problem because of that, you know, 91 minute third set. Like if that set doesn't happen or if he plays someone else, like chances are he probably wins because um, he can beat them easily enough. But Djokovic was the only one who could drag him into that place where, you know, he had to run on it enough that it started to bother him. Uh, that was my take anyway. Um, yeah, no, no mine, mine as well. And, and from, the, from that, you know, semifinal from the year before, uh, I think if Rafa does win that third set tie break, of course he went up an early, he went up a, a, a break in the fourth set in, in yeah. 2021. Um, but he was just, I, I don't know how, can't remember exactly how those first two games panned out, but then he lost six games in a row. And, right. and I think that said everything, but anyway, back to this one. So I also thought that Rafa, not just in necessarily in the first set, but I thought Rafa's backhand was also pretty impressive in this match. 
Yeah, I thought so too. And early on, Djokovic sort of tried to attack that side with like the angled forehands that he used so well in their match last year. Um, that was like the big revelation of that match because he hit that shot constantly and he hit it really, really well. And Nadal didn't really have an answer. But early on here, he was kind of slicing it down the line um, and that gave him time to get back in position. Um, and he was dealing with it better than he did last year. And so I was both thinking like, wow, he's playing really well. And also like Djokovic is going to have to change tactics um, because what he did last year isn't going to get it done. So last year, 2021, there was a turning point in the match. I mean, by the way, this one was was even more, you know, further away from Novak, if you like, because Rafa yeah. won the first set last year, but towards the end of that first set, it was really, you know, he was hanging on and then Novak right. sort of ran away with the second set. But this time, Rafa goes up a double break, albeit only three, love, in the second right. set. What were your thoughts at this point in the match? I mean, I thought it was over. Um, you know, you win nine of the first 11 games, even against Novak Djokovic, and you've got to think your chances are pretty good. And if if the person doing that isn't at all on Philippe Chatrier, then, like, you know, it's... I mean, he, he had never lost from a set and a double breakup to Djokovic. He had never lost from a set and a breakup at Roland Garros. Um, so, like, I don't know. It, it just seems like he wasn't slowing down. I didn't think Djokovic was playing badly, but he obviously wasn't as good as he needed to be. Um, and so I guess my thinking was just, like, you know, no chance Nadal loses this set. Because I, I I thought this during the match, and then I ran the numbers on it later. Uh, Nadal's never lost a set from a double breakup against Djokovic. I don't think either of them has ever blown a double break lead in a set to the other one in all 59 matches that they've played. Um, and so I was like, it's well, it's not going to happen here on his favorite court. And then once he goes up two sets, that's it. Um, so yeah, that those were my feelings. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Yeah. Um, I thought though once it's three love and it goes into the fourth game i'm just trying to think yes yeah, so rafa's serving obviously at three love right to consolidate the break uh i think that game i think it lasted quite a while but then there's so many games in this match that lasted quite a while as, as they often do maybe even all three of these games lasted a while um i thought i just remember that rafa was constantly under pressure on his serve throughout this entire set really that sometimes Novak would break, sometimes he wouldn't, but but Rafa was was struggling to hold serve. I think maybe even in these in these first couple of games as well. Um that I didn't quite see it as a done deal, uh, if you like. Um I I just thought that that this, you know, if you get a break back back on clay, you know, yeah. and you know about Djokovic, even if it's Rafa Nadal, even if right. it's Philip Chatre. You never know. And that's exactly what did happen. I mean, uh, once and once that did happen, listen, I mean, we momentum and all the rest of it. So so um, incredibly, Djokovic fights back to take that set from from a double breakdown. Yeah. I mean, did Djokovic do something different? Was he did he did he just start playing better or was there anything more sort of nuanced in that in that second set? Uh, it wasn't nuanced at all. He started redlining and blasting every return and forehand and everything went in um 
And uh, I, I mean, you're right about the serve pressure, but that didn't really start until 3-2. In the 3-0 game, okay. Nadal went up 30-15, and then he made three straight errors to get broken. Um, and so he sort of opened the door a bit there. But then, yeah, after that, it was all Djokovic. Like, that 3-2 game, he was scorching returns on first and second serve. Um, he hit one forehand winner that was, like, 99 miles an hour. And it was at that point that I started thinking, like, okay, this could get interesting because... Yeah, he just completely committed to the strategy and just blasted everything. Um, and it works. I mean, he broke it all three times in four games. And, like, they weren't easy games. Um, he had a tough game at three all where Nadal hit a break point. And so if he loses that, maybe he loses the set anyway. But, yeah, it was a pretty incredible escape act. I, I actually just remembered as well, the return, I think, did go up a notch or two, at least in yeah. probably just in terms of regression. Maybe he just thought, I've got to go for this a lot more on the return. I just have an image, really, from three love up in this set until the beginning of the third set, and maybe even during the third set as well, but maybe Rafa dealt with it better. It's just Rafa constantly having to scoop up uh, yes. an unbelievable return by his feet. You know, he, he, he literally just finished his service action and yep. he's got to get ready and get the foot, get his feet in order to get a return. And from that moment onwards, he just was kind of behind in every point, almost yeah. on his serve for certainly throughout this second set. And I would even argue, really, even during the third set, I just think that maybe Rafa could manage to get back in the rally somehow. It was almost like Rafa was serving, but he was the one under pressure all the time because, yeah. you know, he wasn't in charge of the point. Yeah, on first and second serve as well. I mean, to give you an idea of how devastating the returning was, by the end of the second set, Nadal's winning percentage on his first serve was all the way down to 58%, which is horrible. Um, but, like, it had started really high. Um, I think he even, like, he won something like 8 out of his first 10 second serve points, and then that was way down, too. It was just like, yeah, Djokovic was seeing everything like a, a beach ball um, and, yeah, hitting everything back on the baseline. If I thought before the match that it was 70-30 in Novak's favour, at the end of the second set, having obviously got the second set after being a double breakdown, I yeah. must have been thinking something like 80-20. I, I certainly felt even better for Djokovic going into the third set than I did in, into the match at the beginning. As you can imagine, such yeah. a huge momentum shift. Also, what happened a year before when the, when the momentum yeah. shift was there as well. I just thought, you know, I just can't, I just couldn't see Novak losing from this exact moment that we've got on the screen right now at the beginning of the third set. Yeah, I mean, those were sort of my thoughts too. And, and I think also, like, I mean, that second set was 88 minutes. And so at that point, Djokovic had, you know, succeeded in making the match a war of attrition, which was what last year's match was. And he won that one. And so I was thinking, like, yeah, now he's got a physical advantage and it all played five sets in the previous round. Um, like that, it, this will probably have a similar ending to last year. Um, and then things changed again in a hurry. Yeah, like the right from the start of the third set. I, I, I Owen, I think it's really interesting you bring up the physical point right now because yeah. it was around this time as well, maybe maybe at various points in, in, in sets three and four, that I did start to notice some Novak stretches yep. that we know he's very famous for off the court and even during points necessarily, but I don't very often, we've just seen it recently in Paris Bercy as well in the final yeah. again. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed a few times in that match where, um, where I was like, hang on a second. I remember him doing this 
uh, a few months ago in, in Paris. And don't forget, of course, Djokovic had gone out early in Monte Carlo to Davidovich Shvakina. Right. There was an issue, I think, in the first six months of this year with Novak just barely playing. I, I think in the second six months, you know, his fitness has been almost just perfect in terms of where he was at at Wimbledon. Agreed. And then during the indoor hardcourt season, he's just perfectly fresh that he's kind of at the peak of his powers again. But in this match, uh, uh, interestingly, I do think it was Rafa was as fresh as a daisy in sets yeah. three and four. And I think Novak was struggling a bit. Yeah, and I think a couple of things went into that. Um, over the course of the clay season, I sort of thought he was then what he is now. Like he's, you know, he was physically off, but he's played enough matches that he's got it back. But what I didn't take into account was that he didn't have to battle in Rome or in Paris before the Rafa match. And so so I think he was still physically undercooked. He wasn't ready for the four-hour battle. And I also think that just the push he made in the second set sapped a ton of energy. Um, and yeah. Because he was redlining and hitting every ball as hard as he could for an hour and a half. Um, like, that, a comeback really takes it out of you when you're fighting from behind. Like, another thing I think of is, um, you know, the 2008 Wimbledon final, I think even though Federer had that great comeback to take it to a fifth from two sets down, like I think it sapped his energy, right? Like fighting from behind for that long is exhausting. And so I think at the start of the third set, not only was Djokovic in territory he hadn't experienced for a while, his level went down because his play had been so low margin. And like you said, Nadal was fresh. Um, and so I think that's kind of why the third set was as lopsided as it was, um, which was a surprise at the, time, at the time, but is maybe more explicable in retrospect. Yeah. Um, I mean, basically, every single prediction uh, through Nadal and Djokovic uh, at the French Open of the last three years for me, and even just when it comes to sets and momentum, yeah. I've got it entirely wrong. I remember yeah, me too. 2020, I went into the final thinking that Novak would win. Uh, I went into 2021 thinking that Rafa would win. But even even just looking at points of this match, you know, at the beginning of the match, I thought Novak would win. Um, and then at various points, I thought Novak's even more likely to win, if you like. I think if, if without sounding clever after the event, there is a moment, interestingly, during the fourth set, mm -hmm. even though Rafa was a breakdown, where I thought, I think Rafa, there was something that was going on, whether it was looks that Rafa was giving to his box, just looking at Rafa's body language. I just thought, uh, and also Novak as well, to some extent, seeing how he was behaving. I just thought Rafa thinks he's got this. Yep. He was a breakdown throughout, I think, most of the fourth set. Um, and, of course, Novak went on to serve for that set. So you would mm -hmm. think, you would think, if anything, the body language should be more positive for Novak. You know, winning the fourth yeah. set would give him momentum going to the fifth set. But I just felt that, that maybe I just felt as well that my eyes were telling me as well, Rafa's actually playing better here, despite the fact he's a breakdown. I agree. Um and I think a big part of that was like, yeah, after the break, so it was 2-0 and then Djokovic played a great game to make it 3-0. And yeah, after that, Nadal was like holding really easily. Like Djokovic lost his rhythm on the return. He didn't get close to breaking again for the rest of the match. And Nadal didn't break until 3-5, but he was in the return games. Like he was hitting winners. Um, he like made a couple forehand errors on like, you know, 40, 30 points or like 15 all points where he could have gotten more into return games. But yeah, you're right. Like the balance was definitely shifting, even though the score didn't reflect that. The crowd was getting more behind Nadal. He looks to have more energy. Yeah, it felt like there was a twist coming. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What was it like in the stadium in terms of the support for each player? Um, watching on TV, because I heard different people saying different things on that level. Yeah. Um, watching on TV, it felt 70-30, but perhaps in the stadium you'll have a better idea. What would you say? Yeah, I don't think TV did justice to how behind and at all the crowd was. It, okay. I mean, he came out and he got an enormous cheer. Djokovic got cheers, but also some boos. Like... Yeah, I mean, it, it felt more like 95-5 or like 90-10. I mean, in the middle of the second set, Djokovic hits a bad drop shot. Nadal goes up to, like, put it away, and you can hear someone in the crowd yell, hit him, um, like, before he hits it. Um, you know, like, th- there were boos when he waxed the net at the start of the fourth set. Yeah, remember it, Yeah, it, I, I do think the crowd played a factor in the match. I, like, I think Nadal got a lot of energy from them in the fourth set. After the match, I remember Goran Ivanisevic making some interesting comments. Yeah. What it was did, a great interview. Yeah. Yeah. What did you make of that? Uh, I mean, well, it was funny because like historically the crowd doesn't bother Djokovic, right? Or like it doesn't bother him to the extent that he loses because of them. Like, I mean, we've seen it in the past, like 2015 US Open final with Federer and 2019 Wimbledon final. Like you get through that, you can get through anything. Um, people always say stir up the crowd against him, but all I think that ever does, like it bothers him momentarily and then he finds his game again. But here, I think some combination of the crowd and the opponent. Um, like, I, I, if, if it's a different opponent, crowd doesn't matter, put it that way. But I think that a combination of the way Nadal played and the way the crowd was just threw him off a little bit. Yeah. So Rafa does break back uh, in this game that we're, we're seeing. Yeah, just on in, in a right great now. game. Uh, both players hit winners. Djokovic made a couple key mistakes at important moments but he didn't choke that it was Nadal hit like five winners in that return game I also think I mentioned this this confidence that that I was seeing um more than usual I would say with Rafa Rafa tends to sort of seem to be a bit anxious in in the way he appears but I I I sense this air of confidence between him and his team if anything it's Carlos Moyer who appears the more confident and I and I think as well that Rafa was still feeling good enough that he thought if this goes to a fifth I'm playing better right now. I'm pushing my opponent on his serve. I'm comfortable on mine. Whatever happens, whether I win the tie break, whether I break back, I'm going to win the fifth set. That's what I, for the yeah. first time, and probably my only prediction in the last three years of French Open matches, I, 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 I did sort of have, a, have the right sense, if you like, because, of course, we know how the match panned out. So Rafa now breaks back, gets mm-hmm. it back to five all. There's a yeah. couple of epic points I remember in the five all game. Um what are your thoughts in this period of the match, which turned out to be the crucial part, of course? Well, I think it, even at this point, it seems like Nadal would win because he, even after getting the break back, he had to serve to stay in the set at 4-5 and 5-6. And the Djokovic of the second set would have made that hell for him, even if he had been able to hold. And he just held easily. I think he lost one point in, across the two games. And so I was like, okay, he's not losing this. Like, he's he's playing well, and the edge has come off Djokovic. Like... I don't think Djokovic fist pumped once for the rest of the match after that 5-3 game. Um, I'm not saying he tanked it, but he was not fully there after that. It broke his spirit a bit. 
there was a point, and it might have been in the five three game itself, which is bizarre. Bearing in mind he was serving for the set, oh, yes, yeah, yeah. the set. Um, there might have been a point where it was a poor drop shot from Rafa that he didn't tra- chase down. Yeah, first um, point of the game. Yeah, and I just thought that's unusual, and I think that would also. We, I talked about these stretches that he was. He would sort mm-hmm. of get ready to return serve on a few occasions. And he would sort of just get his back kind of ready and his yep. and his whole body contorted. Um, and he just didn't look comfortable. And and that was an interesting point. It was, it was we you know, we know these drop shots. Rafa seems to put a bit more height on his drop shots than, than mm. most players. Maybe it's more so on clay. And this was one of those that seemed to land in a pretty good position for his opponent. But Yeah, I mean, me. on the service line, essentially. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and my take at the time was just that it was so unexpected that he couldn't run for it no matter where it landed and so he like his weight was on his back foot or something but yeah there was something weird about that because like even if you're fooled you should be able to get to that one um and he it seemed like a calculated choice to not bother um he won most of his points in that service game with big serves and so i wonder if that was sort of what he was thinking he's like i will just try to serve my way through this game and do as little running as possible I, I I mean, I don't know. I can't see inside his head. But yeah, there's no doubt there's something going on physically at that point. Definitely, yeah. So Rafa breaks back, gets it back to five all. They get to six all as well. They go into the tie break. Uh, and again, I told you about this, this feeling that the Rafa was feeling pretty confident. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts uh, on the tie break? Well, I, I mean, there are definitely two phases to it. Um, you know, phase one and then the match points. Um, so the first three points, Nadal, like, rips him up with the forehand. Um, like, forces an error, gets a winner at 1-0. And then 2-0, Djokovic is on the attack, but he hits it to the wrong side, and Nadal hits a winner. Um, and after that, Djokovic just fell apart for a few points. Um, I mean, I think he made errors at, you know, 3-1, 4-1, and 5-1. Um, he was just, yeah all over the place yeah i mean there were maybe a few more errors than the normal from novak in this match i mean i remember the first set uh was decided after he put a forehand into the to the tram line um but yeah of course so rafa takes this uh lead is it, is it six two he, he leads the time six, six one so that's giving you five match points yeah <laughs> many of which of course will be on your serve what right. What happens to Novak at this point? He's 6-1 down in the tie break. Yeah. We have seen this from Novak before in, right. in matches, I remember, against Federer. He just goes into to God mode. Uh, yeah, and like, well, I don't even know if it's God mode. I think it's just a mode where he's like, okay, I'm going to play clean. I'm not going to take unnecessary risks. And I'm going to make the opponent beat me and like hit risky shots to beat me. Because even that return winner, he hits at 6-3. Um, that was not... Like, it was a bad serve. Like, it was a serve that deserves to be punished. He just had the courage to punish it properly. And, like, the nerves to make the shot. Um, It, like... And I mean this as a compliment. Like, it wasn't a remarkable shot. It was the right shot. Do you know what I mean? Um, And so... And I think that's what he does on the match points. He hits the right shot every time. Yeah. But there does seem to be a little extra kilometer or two per hour to those shots. And oh, yeah. and that return... I I know you're, you're not... I know you're not downplaying it, but it was still remarkable. Oh, it was insane. Um, I, the crowd couldn't believe what they were seeing because like barely anyone reacted to it. He, I thought it was out because of the angle I was at. And then I was like, oh my God, he made that. Because like it was a first serve, so you never expect a return winner. Um, and then I just saw Nadal walking to the other side and I was like, wow, that just happened. We're, we might be at the 2011 US Open again. Um, yeah, it was yeah, wild. Right. Um, 
listen, it's six four. Then it comes to the tie because right. he gets three points in a row. What do you think Rafa is thinking at this point? Um, do you think he might be starting to feel a bit nervy? Uh, probably, but the thing is, at six four, you're still in control because he had one more on serve, and like, and, and you know, it's like, yeah, you want to win that one because like six five, yeah, it's match point, but the other guy's serving, and so you don't want to be in that position. Six four, it's still on your racket. Yeah, let's talk about match point. As you mentioned before we went on air, it was a 17-point or 17-shot, sorry, rally. Um, uh, I think there's two net cords. One is really obvious from Rafa. Yeah. Um, Anyway, go on, tell me. Right. Well, so, yeah, pretty early. Djokovic gets another good return off, like, an unremarkable first serve, lands deep. And then later in the point, he hits, like, a good deep backhand down the line, and Nadal's backhand, like, clips the net cord, and it doesn't sit up. It, like, floats back near the baseline Nadal got a lot of help from the net in this match I'll say that Djokovic nearly nothing um and then the rally just kept going and it was like so it didn't alter the course of the rally but it did make you think like that was really close like you know it was almost six five there I remember you mentioned the net courts now I remember I think when he hits the net you remember you said um how the crowd reacted I think he hit the net when he got a bad net cord Yes, for like him. the sixth time at that point. Yeah, and and I remember uh, seeing him, and I think he was. It was a combination of what was going on in the crowd and the fact that he just couldn't believe his misfortune. Right. That that then meant he hit the net as as he did with his racket. The booze come out, which obviously makes it even worse in a way. Right. And uh, I just think he just thought this is just not my day. Um, uh, at various points in the match, and maybe even with the with the drop shot and the way he was feeling, and and he just thought that maybe the world was against him, if you like. And I don't mean that; I mean that in a way that many sports people use that as a yeah. as a, as a motivation. But he couldn't quite get it done on on this particular day. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I usually hate it when players throw tantrums, but I wrote in my like recap of this match, like that was fully understandable when he waxed the net because like it was a lot of bad luck. Um. Yeah, I mean, he, I mean, like, he didn't play well enough to win this match. So, like, it's not like I'm brokenhearted for him that he didn't win. Um, but yeah, there's some bad luck. After the match, I do think, uh, and I, I think every player in the history of tennis has been guilty of this at some point. So, this is not just saying that Novak, I, I'm certain that Rafa has been salty, as, as Nick has accused right. him of in the past. Um, so, most players are 99% of the time gracious in victory, gracious in defeat. Great, yep. good sports people. Maybe on this occasion, Novak, I remember after the match, was interviewed and was saying something about Rafa's injuries, and I just thought there was a bit of saltiness. I also think the exchange at the net wasn't super warm. There was obviously all the comments coming back from Australia that Rafa had right. made regarding the, the vaccine status. Uh, I think I also noticed around this time, and I do think it's significant, Djokovic would call just about every player on tour by their first name. And he didn't call Rafa Rafa for about six months. He was calling him Nadal. And he really? would do it. Yeah, and he would do it. Yeah, I know. And I do think he was annoyed by what Rafa had said in some of his press conferences. I do think he was a little bit annoyed by Stefano Tsitsipas as well. Uh, and he, of course, really appreciated the support he got from various yeah. other players on, on the tour, such as Medvedev and, uh, and one or two others. I think Zverev too. Um, and I think Alice Cornet as well on the on the women's side said some you know positive things about him. And I I, I do think around this time I'm because I think they have been reasonably not close, but they got on pretty well, well yeah. for m- most for a long time. 
But I think this year it has gotten worse, but probably with time since Australia, we might see a little bit more of a thawing in relations in the coming weeks or months. But um, yeah, I would see him interviewed in a, in a random interview going into Monte Carlo, for example. And it wasn't just that he would say Nadal. He would say, you know, he'd go, you know, uh, Sasha, Daniel, and we sure. know this and and this and that. And then he'd go Nadal. And yeah, of course, I played Nadal in this match. And that was a difficult right. Um, And I do think that there was a he was a bit annoyed by Rafa at this point. I so I can't speak to that because I wasn't really following it. But I can tell you that he was pissed after this match because he... The handshake at net was not cold, but it wasn't warm. It was nothing like what he gave to Rune after that Paris final. And then he walked off without waving to the crowd. Um, yeah. He he was pissed to lose this match. Um, in press, the thing he said about Nadal's injuries, I didn't think that was, like, biting or anything. I thought, like, I mean, he's right, right? You know, like, Nadal makes physical turnarounds quickly. Like, sometimes he makes them slowly, but he's had any number of amazing comebacks from injury. So I felt like that was more what he was saying than anything else. Um, I think he was just mad that he didn't show off as much as he needed to. Um, he was not yeah. even close to as good as he needed to be in the first set, in the third set. Um, he should have closed out the fourth set, probably. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that was it, really. Yeah. And I, uh, by the way, I have no problem with people being a bit annoyed at losing a tennis match. I, I, yeah. I don't have, a, I think it's great when they're gracious and I think we can be really complimentary uh, as long as they don't go over what we don't do as Zvedev with the umpire, like he did in Acapulco. Yeah, um, we all know, we all know where the line is, but, but fine, no problem with, with Djokovic in that respect. But listen, let's just quickly finish with this match point. We were sort of talking about yeah, it. Right. It was a, just a, a, I think there was a fine net cord from Novak, right? That, yes. that barely changed the trajectory yep. of the ball. Yeah, yeah, barely. Um, and it, yeah, it just speaks to the fine origins between these two. You know, they they mirror each other in so many ways, and they have historically. Like their rivalry is nearly symmetrical. They're they've won, you know, Nadal twenty two majors, Djokovic twenty one majors. Like it's been back and forth with them for years. Um, and so the fact that they both got a net court, I think, was a nice last bit of symmetry in this match. And Nadal wins two of his final three matches at this tournament with a backhand winner down the line. How difficult yeah. is this shot? We can see him. He's in the tram line there, right. fairly deep in the court. Yeah, ball's I mean, high up too. It's really high, really high. Um, I mean, it's a difficult shot at the best of times, but if you're on match point, even more so. Yeah, and I mean, it's not just a difficult shot. It's one Nadal doesn't like to hit that much. He doesn't go for winners with it that often. He's improved it a lot over the years, but he does not have nearly the relationship with that shot that Djokovic does. Um, And it was interesting because, you know, the shot Djokovic hits before that is an angled forehand. It's slow, it's loopy, it's got a lot of spin. And so it gives Nadal the opportunity, right? And you can see almost as soon as he hits it, Nadal's footwork just goes into overdrive. Like he makes a ton of quick steps over there, gets in position, and then just hammers it. and it's amazing to me that he had the courage to do that. Not because I don't think he's a brave player, but because like that's going for it. You know, that's a lot of times you're going to miss that shot. Um, and uh, yeah, hit it perfectly. And not only that, of course, he'd lost three points in a row and including right. obviously three match points. I think there's also one other interesting point from this still that we're looking at here right now. I think even Novak's a bit surprised. We look. Yeah, at his you can see he's covering cross. Yeah, he, exactly. he doesn't move he, for the ball he, at all. Didn't expect I, it. Exactly. And even, listen, I think his court position says something. I think it's the right court position, bearing in mm-hmm. mind how well he knows his opponent, etc. But on top of that, he's also leaning to the right, if you can see yeah. this. 
this image we've got here. I think he's leaned to like, and he, he's probably right now realizing, oh, it's not going that way. Right. So, um, uh, so, but then as you say, I still think Rafa misses it 50 50. You know, I think he hits it in the net a lot of the time. Uh, yeah, I think so too. Not... He's, he's hit a lot of those in the net over the years. Over um, the years, yeah. But yeah, I think that's a fun thing to focus on in matches that I only started doing recently. It's like when these two play, but also when anyone plays, like, they, you never recover to the middle. You always cheat a little bit cross-court because most shots go cross-court. And that's why down the line is so devastating. Like, not only is the ball traveling less distance, so it's going to be harder to get, but, like, they're covering the other side, so you have to run farther. Um, and you can see it a lot in this match, like, on the forehand side. Like, Djokovic is cheating cross-court, not because the down-the-line forehand isn't a threat, but because, like, you have to cover the cross-court forehand. It's not all cross-court forehand and so you see so many points where Djokovic is over there like and then Nadal just riffs it down the line and Djokovic has to run all the way over there and then he's screwed um yeah it's it's tough um when Nadal is hitting that forehand down the line like I, I mean you can't defend it which is why that shot is so good because you have to cover cross court like if he's hitting that cross court forehand into open space there is nothing you can do so you have to cover it and just if he hits the down the line forehand say too good um and Djokovic is usually the best ever at defending it. I think he defended it well in this match, but he couldn't do it well enough because it was just too good. I still think the way we view the rivalry may well be partly shaped by the 2021 semi-final. Um, yeah. uh, perhaps more perhaps more of an influence than perhaps any other match, just because it meant that Novak would get to a second French Open title. But... Uh, I do think it's also quite important that Nadal stemmed the tide a little bit with this win. Yeah. I mean, if it had been a Novak win, I think it would be 31-28 right now. The the head-to-head yes. instead, it's 30-29 currently. I mean, there's still another year or two, at least we hope, of this rivalry to come. Uh, where do you where do we stand in this match in in terms of the the rivalry and 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 other great matches that they've had? Yeah, well, I, I mean, like you said, I think it was important because it sort of was Nadal saying, like, and, you know, I still own this court. You're not going to beat me here three times or two years in a row. Like, you, not you got lucky last year, but, like, last year's not going to happen again. You know, maybe it will next year. But he, you know, reordered things. You know, he, like, restored the old order, I guess I'll say. Exactly. Um, Quality-wise, I'd probably put it in their top 20. I mean, it can't touch their best ones, um, obviously. I don't think it was as good as their match last year. Um but I think what made it special was, like, the peak that each of them hit. I mean, I think Nadal in the first set and Djokovic in the second set is, you know, I would put that up against how well either of them have played ever on clay. Like, I think that level can go toe-to-toe with the best level they've played at in the past on that surface. Um, yeah, it was amazing. Um, and I think the second half of the match was significantly less compelling than the first, but it was great. I, I had a great time. Yeah. And, and listen, Owen, I, I agree with you as well. I think it probably is in the top half a dozen men's matches of this year. Uh, yeah. Of course, it's the only Novak and, and Rafa one um, of the year, at least at the time of recording. Um, they better be in the same group for the World Tour Finals, I'm telling you. Sorry, keep going. Let's see. Let's see. Yeah, it'll be good to see them see them in that uh, hardcore. Of course, this will be aired um, in a few weeks from now. So when you're watching this, you may well know how those World Tour Finals and and uh, we'll, we'll, I'm sure you're watching this having just seen Rafa beat Novak 6-love 6-2. Uh, in the... <laughs> I mean, I, I wouldn't say no to that, I'll tell you, because that would make it 30-all. And like, yeah, but and I just... think their rivalry being tied 30-all is the would be the coolest thing ever, but it's not going to happen. Uh, so. No. 
No, and, and listen, uh, so it's one more thing because, of course, uh, we okay. don't know how the ATP finals are going to pan out. But if they were to meet indoors, if Rafa is going to, I think, if Rafa is going to win that match, and I think the odds are stacked against him, mm -hmm. uh, it won't be straight. It'll be a, a, set, a third set tiebreaker. It'll be a, a, an epic. If Novak wins it, it could be an epic, but it could also be a. Australian. It'll be like three and four, or two and three. Yeah, yeah. Or two and three. Yeah, yeah. Listen, Owen. Once again, great to have you on board. Uh, I'm sure our paths will be crossing uh, again very soon. And uh, yeah, thanks for stopping by. Thanks for having me. Yeah, anytime. Cheers. Cheers. Sports Social Podcast Network.